Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 83. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And if you hear noise in the background, that would be Walt. By now, you guys all know who Walt is. If you are a new listener, I suppose you wouldn't know. So welcome. Walt is our dog. Walt has cabin fever, just like the rest of us have cabin fever. So please excuse any noise that you hear in the background. Pulling up the carpet and refinishing the hardwood in this room aesthetically is nice, but logistically and in terms of the noise that it creates for the show, I don't think we thought this through properly. I asked you 500 times about reverb and if we were going to be okay for the show. Well, we don't have reverb. That's for certain. However, everything that he does now is heard. But it doesn't matter, though, because how, how many shows would you have to yell at him to stop eating this carpet? So we really didn't have a choice anymore. Yeah, we broke even. Yeah. Well, anyway, hopefully you guys are staying safe and staying healthy. I'd ask how you've been, but I've seen nothing but you and the dog for two <laughs> weeks. Oh. To touch on that. I do have to say one of the biggest work from home lessons that I have learned, and it's something I've tried to put in practice while working in an office, and I guess I was doing a better job than I thought. Make sure you're getting up. Make sure that you're taking breaks. Walk around a little bit. Don't just sit stagnant at your computer because it causes lots and lots of back pain. Yeah. Luckily for me, I've been able to at least... See, that's the thing, though. It's it's that funny sort of balance because... I pace when I talk. So I get on the phone with clients and I'm just like running circles in the in and out of every room and I'm sure that has I've to noticed. Be, it's it's got to be a distraction for you, but my back feels great. No, this is something I mean, I spend most of the day in a chair. It's the nature of the job. I've considered getting a standing desk. Um, but who knows how long we're going to be in this situation, so it's not something I necessarily want to invest in right now. Yes. Before we jump into this week's review of Newsies, however, you've got Twitter pulled up, and that usually means that you and or a listener have schemed against me. We do. We have some listener feedback, and yes, it does involve <laughs> taking a dig at you, so this is quite possibly my, my favorite feedback that we've ever gotten um welcome to shots at sean <laughs> that's a new segment on monoreal radio longtime listener twitter handle at Kreider gal wrote in response to our mulan episode be a man sean which is the perfect play on words uh lighten up on the review of mulan go watch imagination movers or something you need a disney fix hashtag too harsh I knew I was not going to be making a lot of friends with my review of Mulan. And I put myself out there anyway. In fact, I think I said on the show I'm not going to make a lot of friends this week. Yeah, for that in Pocahontas, you're you're just hating on the the later princesses of the Disney Renaissance. I I'm you know what? I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. If people don't know what we're talking about, you can go ahead 
and go back into the back catalog and listen to our review of both Pocahontas and Mulan. It's not hard to find because we only did it a few weeks ago. And please, if you have any more shots at Sean, send them our way. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Monoreal Radio. (laughs) Maybe I'll do better this week with my friends. We are celebrating an anniversary this week. It is the 28th anniversary of the release of Disney's Newsies. The Broadway show was actually, it's the anniversary today at the time of this recording, March 30th. Well, happy birthday, Broadway show, Newsies. And congrats to Alan Menken. Yes, congrats to him. His Disney portfolio continues to grow and grow and grow, and uh, we continue to review his work on this show. Now, I do have a confession to make. The first time I saw Newsies was this week <laughs> when we reviewed the show. I and had cue never, the shots at Sean. I had never seen this movie before, which, without giving my review away, sort of surprises me because as I watched this film a couple of times this week in preparation for the show here, it totally seems like a movie that they would have shown us in school. Yeah. and it, But we never, ever saw it. Never in a music class, never in a history class, because this is loosely based on a true story. Um, but as I sit here and watch it, I go, why did I see Greece once a week? <laughs> and, and there he goes. And why did I never see Newsies? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that they were going to necessarily build a whole lesson around Newsies, but certainly this could have been one of those, you know, going into a long school break where you had like a half day. Yeah, or on the coach bus on the way to throw a dart at any of the overnight trips you would do in like junior high school. But nope, never came across it. I would imagine you had seen it a few times. A few. This wasn't a staple of my childhood. Um... I wouldn't even say that that's really an unusual thing because this did be- have it. It grew a big cult following. This was a box office failure when oh, it came yeah. out. Oh yeah, this was a flop. Um, but it was also released during the time that animation was hitting really heavy. So I can see where maybe there wasn't as much of an interest in this. Well, I here's the thing: 1992, big budget musicals that wasn't really in style. At the time. Except for animation. Except for animation. But at the time, I mean, think about what was big in 1992. Obviously, animation was big. You had movies like uh, Home Alone had just come out a couple of years before. I think Lethal Weapon was still putting movies out. Die Hard was still putting movies out. Ace Ventura Pet Detective, I think, was still a year away. But there was a shift. You were getting into those comedies. Exactly. And you were really starting to get into Jim Carrey specifically. So I find it interesting that Disney took the opportunity then to try and reboot the big budget sort of musicals. Like this movie probably would have cleaned up in the late 70s, early 80s. I don't know why they chose 1992 to try, but they did. And at the time, didn't pay off for them. Right, because for all intents and purposes, it's really a period piece before anything else. Right. And, uh, you know, to jump on that, and we'll go right into it. And for those of you who have listened to the show before, 
Um, we are going to do a linear review of the movie. We're not going to give the plot and then jump back and forth with discussion because there's a lot going on in this movie. The movie is fairly long. It has a runtime of about two hours. And they, I mean, they pack a lot in that two hours. I'm As, wondering if that's why it didn't do well commercially either. Maybe it was a little too long. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Um, well, you mentioned before it's a period piece. Takes place New York City in 1899. The Newsies are selling newspapers for a penny each. And you get the opening number carrying the banner. Um, now, the Newsies, as characters, they sort of live in a boarding house that is attached to the newspaper building or just outside of the newspaper building. They live within the vicinity of the building where they open the gate and they go and they get their newspapers in the morning and they go and sell them. And they make the point to say that a lot of these kids were orphans and runaways that were sort of just doing this to make whatever money that they could. Yeah. This film opens like the counterpart to Annie. It, it, yeah. It's um Yeah, it, it is. It's like a uh, male version of Annie. Because, not that I've seen Annie a lot, but obviously the title character is female. And I think a lot of the kids in that orphanage were also girls as well, from what I remember. It was all girls. That's right. It was an all-girls school. No, the only, really the only male in that cast is Daddy Warbucks mm-hmm. and uh, Rooster. So, we open with Carrying the Banner. Um, I think in terms of songs, I I like the back and forth. I think there's a great back and forth. It seems like it was written for the stage. And I don't mean that it doesn't translate well to film, but I can see where this number specifically works better on Broadway than it does in the movie. And I I think it does work for this movie. But it seems like... I wonder if they were starting to develop this as a play and shifted focus and did a feature film... I don't know, because this was, um, we haven't mentioned yet, this was directed by Kenny Ortega, who did Hocus Pocus. And and, High School Musical. And High School Musical, but this was his directorial debut. Um, So who knows? I mean, they might have, at the time, I think they were sort of conceptualizing Beauty and the Beast for the stage. I'm wondering, maybe they were, maybe they were, you know, kind of back and forth between doing a new stage musical and they ended up doing Beauty and the Beast because it was so popular and then turned this into a film instead. It's also, you know, interesting to think about in the timeline of Disney history too, because uh, at the time, Howard Ashman was still alive, but he was very, very sick. So as much as Alan Menken wanted to work with him, he had to find another lyricist to work with. Okay. So I, yeah, so I wonder if, if this was supposed to be another vehicle for them as well. Like if this was something that they were going to do together, maybe this was going to be the, uh, the, not the sequel to, but the follow-up to like Little Shop of Horrors or something. Possibly. I don't know. Well, anyway, back to this opening number. Um, I found it really interesting, too, that, you know, obviously you had the news giants like Hearst and Pulitzer. Um, I didn't know that they had such an elaborate operation where they were housing their their sales team 
really. I'm, and I mean, I guess one sort of goes hand in hand with the other because if these kids had nowhere else to go, it's your room and board and then they get a little bit of spending money. Um, I'm not sure how accurate that is if that's something that maybe Disney embellished on a little bit because they didn't want to, A, seem too much like Annie um, taking place in an orphanage, or B, maybe they didn't want to go that that dark with it. Yeah. But it, it was interesting to me, too, how full circle the role of a newsie has come because it was kind of a sales job back then. I mean, it was a sales job. And you had these kids... Some of them were very savvy and they embellished the headlines in order to push their papers. And that's certainly come full circle now because there's fake news and Lord knows there is so much clickbait. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Anything that gets you that click and and that advertising and, and gets you that bump on Google, right? To circle back to what you said, though, about this working better possibly for the stage i can see where you would say that because particularly particularly in that scene where they're all getting ready in the washroom yeah it's tight this is a huge cast and you can see what's really impressive to me too is for a directorial debut they do so many long takes with very little editing um so i mean they must have rehearsed these kids almost like a live play, doing it straight through. But you can see how precise everything is as far as weaving the camera through all of these kids. It's really impressive. It's really well done. But you are right. It does feel a little tight in there. So that might be where there was a bigger picture of doing this for the stage. You know, you mentioned before Kenny Ortega was the director here. We know he's a choreographer. And it shows in this number in particular, because not that I can sit there per se and recognize spectacular choreography from great choreography. Obviously, I know good from bad, but I i mean, I can say confidently that the choreography throughout most of the movie, but in this scene in particular, is absolutely insane. It really is. I mean, the kids are crazy talented to begin with, and we're going to get into that more and more, you know, as we introduce some of the characters. Um, Because here, they're still sort of a group. We haven't quite met them individually yet. Um, But it's really impressive. It's one of the things that I enjoy about watching this movie so much is that there is not a wasted there there is hardly any negative space in the frames it's so impressive how he manages to just fill them and I, I was trying to think of a comparison you know to kind of exemplify this um we had reviewed babes in toyland around christmas i think yeah. back in december and um one of our big criticisms was you had all these really cool sets but everything is filmed so wide because they want to get all this dancing in And as a result, that works better for a stage, but it doesn't work for a film because there's just so much blank space where nothing's going on. And there's even, you know, musicals that I love that I've found this flaw with too, like Singing in the Rain. There's some numbers where they're not quite focused on the bigger action. And 
here it's so balanced. It's so amazing. And I think that part of that comes from having such a big cast and so many people to work with, but that could have also been a huge detriment. So once the opening number is done, we see the Newsies going to pick up their papers for the day, and we meet the Delancey brothers, who sort of feud with the Newsies throughout the entire film. Um, their kids as well, they're obviously a little bit older. I mean, that's the thing. Like, this cast is an ensemble. There are a lot of different Newsies, and they range in age from, like, six and seven years old to, like, 17 years old. Right. So the Delanceys, I I would have to say, are probably in the age range of 15 to 17. They're definitely some of the older ones in the group. Right. Um, as they are paying their... Uh, half cent per paper, which is what they pay. Um, and then they turn it around and sell them for a penny. So, hey, 100% markup on it's pretty good, pretty good margin if you were a newsie. Um, we see them lining up and, and paying for these things, as I just said. And we meet Les and David, two new newsies who eventually agree to be partners with nickname Cowboy Jack Kelly, who is played by Christian Bale, who tells them that headlines don't sell newspapers, newsies sell newspapers. We then uh, then see Joseph Pulitzer, who ultimately decides that he's going to raise the price that the newsies pay for their papers to offset the rising costs of owning and operating a newspaper as well as declining sales, because the headlines just are not engaging anymore and they're not moving as much product as they used to and he gets his rival Mr. Hurst on board as well because he says that if if he just does it well then all the newsboys are going to go and work for Hurst but if they do it together then they can both make some extra money here meanwhile we see that Jack is on the run from Mr. Snyder the warden from the refuge a juvenile prison uh, from which Jack has escaped from. There's a really great dialogue in this scene here um, between Jack and David, where David says to Jack, my father told me not to lie, because Jack is trying to convince Les, who is David's younger brother, lie about your age, pretend that you're sick, get people to feel sorry for you, that way you'll sell more papers. And he's sort of embellishing some of the things in the paper himself to drum up interest. And David says, my father told me not to lie. And uh, Jack says, well, my father told me not to starve. And what I love about that line in particular is that you're, you're really just starting to get to know these characters because we're only a few minutes into the movie. But you get a clear vision for the stark contrast between David and Jack. Yeah, I love how, with very few words, it develops the characters very quickly. And it creates a little bit of tension in their relationship because I honestly didn't know where it was going to go from here. I didn't know if at that point David was going to turn away and be Jack's rival throughout the rest of this and he wasn't going to want a partner or if they were going to work together. And I think a little bit too of Jack laying it on thick with Les is that 
you know, Jack is obviously very street smart. Um, he sort of reminds me of Aladdin a little bit because he is very likable and, you know, maybe he's not always telling the truth, but he has to survive. Yeah. And also sort of like Dodger from Oliver and Company. Right. Um, but I think he recognizes that youth is no longer on his side. So he really needs to partner with this kid in order to move his own papers. Right, because there is dialogue as well between Jack and David, where David says, well, if you're that good, why do you need us? And he said, it's not you that I need. I don't have a cute younger brother. Right. So he out and out says he wants to partner with them so that he can really use less for what he's good for, and that's being young and cute. And uh, less, and the actor's name escapes me, but he's the same actor... That was in that movie, The Wizard, with Fred Savage, when they played Luke Edwards. Luke Edwards, and they played Super Mario Brothers three, and the only thing the kid could say in the movie was California. That's the same kid, and this came out like a year or two after. While they're on the run, they run into Meta Larkson, who is a vaudeville performer who also owns, I believe it was Irving Hall. Um, the venue in which she performs, and she offers the boys a place to hide from the warden. Meta being played by Anne Margaret. You will see her relationship with the Newsies develop more and more as the film goes on. However, and, and I do like her, and I think Anne Margaret plays her very well. However, I could not really figure out why she is seemingly so smitten with a kid. Because she seems like there's... This is really... And this is kind of towing a very awkward line. There's there's almost like there's a romantic background with her and Jack Kelly. And Jack, I think, is only 16 years old. Yeah, I mean, it kind of hints that there is some sort of history there. You later find out that she knew his father. Right. But you're right. It does go past the, I've watched you grow up. Yeah. And that, that isn't fleshed out right away. So it's very, until you get to the it's point. It's uncomfy. Very much so. After they leave Meta, we learn that Les and David are not runaways or orphans like most of the Newsies are. Rather, they're trying to make extra money to support their family who has fallen on hard times since their father lost his job at the factory. We don't know what it is. It's just the factory. And that's all it has to be. He lost his job at the factory and is out on disability due to an injury to his arm. Now, I mentioned before that there was dialogue between Jack and David that showed a difference in their view on society, lying versus honesty. But here, it stands out even more so that there is a stark difference in their dialect, in their accent. Uh... Jack is, uh, you know, very uh, this, whereas David is far more articulate and he's well-spoken and he doesn't have that very thick New York accent, you know, like uh, this does, you knows. Interesting you bring that up because what I notice most about the accents 
is how well all of the kids nailed it because by this point we should be sick of it it should be completely overdone these kids had a finesse that I think exceeds their age by about 10 years um yes and no I think well that's that's the thing the the New York accent as it is caricatured is so accurate and it is so hideous. I'm sorry, we're from here and I think that New York accents are absolutely disgusting. And uh, what is amazing about them, though, is that the Long Island accent is different from the Brooklyn accent, which is different from the Staten Island accent. Um, And that's where these kids really did accomplish the feat. And maybe it's a pet peeve of mine because... I hate when people talk so like this. It's like, you, no, no human being speaks that way. How did you get out of kindergarten speaking that way? <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. This could have gone the route of Mar- Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny very quickly, but it didn't. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't necessarily a caricature. This is literally the same exact thing. I don't think so at all. I, I don't think that they went too over the top with it. I think it's accurate. I don't think Marissa... It is over the top. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but so's Marissa Tomei, but she's supposedly in that movie from Brooklyn. That was... It was incredibly spot on. But this is supposed to be period piece accurate. Hers is supposed to be a caricature because it's a satire and she's playing up the whole fish out of water in the South. I mean, you work in Manhattan... You you don't meet people who talk like this like all the time. Well, that's the thing. I can think of one person in particular. <laughs> Manhattan has become such a melting pot. Nobody really talks like that anymore because there's there's so many people coming in from so many other different areas. Well, that and yes, that I will agree with. I feel like the atypical uh, New Yorker that lives and works in and around the boroughs, and grew up here. It's so different now because there are so many people that are brought here because there is so much industry here. But if you're going to talk about 25, 30 years ago when something like My Cousin Vinny came out and it was, my father had the car wash and then around the corners where my uncle had the fruit stand and we had the two houses next to each other and still does to this day. And and I have family that is exactly that, by the way. And you're right. That does not exist so much anymore. But at the time, it did. But we're going to agree to disagree because I, I don't see how this is any different than Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny. I mean, I'll give you this. If you go to a Yankee game, that's when you're going to hear it. Yeah. That's when it's going to show. But a anyway, lot of things at a Yankee game. Back to the scene um, when we meet David and Les's family, the yeah. Jacobs. Yep. Um. What I love about it is that not only does it reveal who these boys really are in their family life, but it really paints a picture of society at the time. And, you know, they truly embody the American family because this is what was going on is that, you know, factory workers were that was the big industry. And so many of them got hurt. And, you know, it it really did affect their finances. Yeah, because you really just had the father would go out and he made the money and 
the mother stayed at home and tended to the house and the children and the kids went to school and that was it. And the kids are not in school right now because they're working. Right. And we later find out that they, they're supposed to be in school and supposed to go back to school once the father gets back on his feet and he can go back to work. But after they have dinner, because Jack gets invited to stay, we get the next number, Santa Fe. I cannot believe this is Batman. Yeah, this number really blows me away. It truly demonstrates Christian Bale's talent. Um, the singing... He rides a horse, which, yeah. you know, that's something that a lot of actors have to learn to do to take on a role. So I have to imagine because he's young, he he knew how to do it going in because he's very comfortable. Um, and the dancing is what blows my mind the most because he is so good. Like, he is so technically good. I, I was... Very shocked and very impressed. The only thing I wish is that he would pick his head up. That's where you get a little bit of the insecurity. Um, maybe this was his first time dancing. I don't know how trained he was, but he constantly is looking down at his feet. That was a big thing that I noticed. And it has nothing to do with his haircut and it, it kind yeah. of falls over his face. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's still really, really good. And, you know, we've mentioned it on this show before. We reviewed Pocahontas a couple of weeks ago that we're shocked that Disney would cast Christian Bale. And maybe that is more shocking to think about in terms of animation, because you do forget that this was his first, not just first role with Disney. It was one of his first really big roles. And, um, you know, it, it seems strange to think about now after we know that he had the big squabble and with the cinematographer on the set of Batman and, you know, the, the media just, attacked him for that well he he's no stranger to controversy we know that right and that's not the first instance i've heard of him being difficult to work with but it's this scene not that i'm saying that it's okay to treat a crew member like that especially when you are the actor because it does make you look like a giant jerk Mm -hmm. to see how disciplined he is I do understand because there's one on every set where it's like you have worked so hard to get where you are and you don't want anything or anyone messing it up for you. So I understand the mentality there. Not saying how he went about it and conducted himself was okay. I think the song itself, because I'm not, I can't really piggyback on that because you basically just said everything. The song itself is beautiful, beautifully written, uh, great musicality you know in terms of the instrumentals phenomenal lyrics phenomenal it is the sad realization that jack's family that he has mentioned a couple of times up to this point isn't real um and it also gives you his entire motivation for wanting to leave new york and for where he's going to go and that he is jack the newsy and everybody knows him as jack the great newsy but he doesn't want to just be Jack the Newsy. He's got his eyes set on the prize. He's got his sights set on something bigger and something better for himself. Well, I think this also goes back to what I was talking about before, where he knows that he needs less because he kind of feels like he almost feels like his his time is running out because yeah. I think he realizes that he's maxed out his potential here. Yeah. Moving on in the story to fight back against Pulitzer. And Hearst, um, because now the newsboys, they go to pick up their papers and they find out that they're being price gouged. 
they decide that they're going to unite and go on strike in order to destroy the newspaper's sales. Jack acts as the leader, but David is the one that's feeding him his lines. And we get the next song here, The World Will Know. I think it's strong. I think it's a great battle cry. It's almost unrealistic, though, coming from a group of kids. Because you would think that this is a union group of adults like the factory workers that are kind of coming together. But I'm willing to overlook how unrealistic it seems because it's that good. Yeah, because it's got that damn the man feel of somebody who's been working hard for like 20 years. Right. And some of these kids are seven years old. And I mean, it's not necessarily fair to criticize them for that because these kids are all in the school of hard knocks. You know, they haven't had it easy. They've had their childhood taken from them because they're working. Yeah. But um, really strong song. I like the lyrics a lot. Love, love, love the dancing. This number, I think, best showcases Aaron Lohr's talent, who I have to mention, most people will know him better as Dean Portman from The Mighty Ducks 2. Um, This was his first Disney role. And holy cow, the Bash brother can dance. And, I mean, this kid has had a six-pack since he was like nine years old. He's. I feel weird saying this about a kid, but he was ripped. It's insane. But f- forget that. His dancing is so amazing technique-wise. He steals every scene for me. And it's not just because I'm sitting there going, oh my God, it's Dean Portman. Look at what a baby he was. He's just so good. And I think it also speaks to what a great director Kenny Ortega is because in a scene with this many kids, you would think that, you know, especially if they're not used to acting, they're they're going to be looking off screen or like, it, you know, they're not going to realize that the camera's still pointed at them and they're going to kind of wander off in their own head or, or maybe get distracted by something he still interacts with everybody around them it's just so impressive and later on he goes to be mr idina menzel i i don't know that he likes to be referred to as mr idina menzel but i'm gonna let you have that one probably not but in that relationship he got the early disney paychecks now she's getting them and you I'm cannot tell certain. me that Dean Portman made more money no, than no, Elsa. No, I'm fairly certain she's doing better off than he is with Disney at this point. After they dance a little bit, the newsies disperse to the five boroughs to spread the word about the strike. And Brian Denton, a reporter from The Sun, approaches David Less and Jack to get more info on the strike. Denton is played by Lone Star. I mean Bill Pullman. <laughs> I mean Mr. President. Um, he I forgot the dad in Casper. I have intentionally forgotten about Casper, period. <gasps> How dare you? I didn't know that about you. Ugh. Ugh. The best part of that movie is Dan Aykroyd. Oh, my God. He's only in it for two seconds. Yeah, he's the best part of it, even though he has that horrendous mustache. I love Casper. Stop. I, okay. We're going to agree to disagree on that one. Um. I like Denton as a character because I think you needed to give the Newsies an adult other than Anne Margaret. Yes. But he sort of just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. He's, he just arrives to watch these kids sing and dance and goes, 
Oh, you're on strike, huh? Tell me about it, boys. I'm a newspaper man. And that's that basically is what happens. Yeah, because he's not so much the media as a character, like when we were talking about um Iron, Iron Will. Will. Yes. Yeah. Um he he uses the media, you know, and the power of the press to turn the narrative. I wouldn't say that he is the media personified. No, he's got too, because way, he, way too many ethics. Exactly, exactly. He has a moral compass that literally nobody in the media today possesses. Exactly. So that's why it is kind of jarring to have him creep in out of nowhere like that because that is a very media thing to do. Yeah. Jack and David go to Brooklyn to talk to Spot Conlin about joining the strike, but he is... Uh, resistant and hesitant to join. Spot is basically the lead newsboy in Brooklyn, and I want to know what the deal is with his gold-handled walking stick. <laughs> I'm. This is. It, it's a family program, so I'm trying to not call it what you would. Re- a pimp stick. Okay, he's got a pimp stick. There's no way. <laughs> Why Why does this kid possess a pimp stick? Like, do we need... He might as well be wearing a Burger King crown. Like, we get it. He is... He's the head newsboy of Brooklyn, but why does he need the pimp stick? No, because you've already established that Jack is the head honcho in his area. We know that he's going to try and create an alliance with him. So you're right. We didn't need the visual cue. That just, oh man and i i was actually going to back you up as far as the accents go his is probably the most over the top it, but he does a good job the kid handles it well yeah um <laughs> but why 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 does he have the pimp stick he doesn't even dance with it no he kind of just takes it's it out it's not even like a around. prop yeah <laughs> um it looks like something that came off the set of dolomite is my name oh my god honestly that's what it looks like <laughs> It's 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 not even it's it's horrible. The next day, the newsies decide to seize the day and take back what is rightfully theirs and damn the man and go up against Pulitzer and Hearst and everybody who's going to stand in their way. And this is obviously the biggest number in the film. And for somebody who had not seen this movie prior to this week, even I knew seize the day. I think the lyrics are great. I think it's a complete earworm. And it's clearly the best song in this movie. For me, it's tied for best song because there is another number that we haven't gotten to yet. Um, But it's definitely up there. Uh, Another great big dance number. Um, And again, this showcases Kenny Ortega's directing talent because at the end of the number... You know, they've officially decided to strike. They're tearing up all the papers so that they can't be sold. Um, and there's just paper confetti everywhere. And the, again, the, the frame is just so full. I, I feel like I keep repeating myself, which is usually your job. But it, it's just so impressive that that carried throughout the film. And it wasn't just like a fluke of one number being shot well. Right. Well, you mentioned just now that they destroy all the papers, which they do when the gates open. And they're doing this because if there's no papers in one piece, there's no papers to sell. 
Because remember, there are some newsies that are still trying to sell papers because they they don't want to lose any income at all. And they're trying to basically force them into joining this strike. So as they're destroying all of these papers, the police arrive and the Delaney's capture Crutchy, who is one of the newsies. He's disabled. He has a limp. He's got a crutch, which is why they call him Crutchy. And uh, they have him sent to the refuge. That night, Jack and David offer to bust him out, but Crutchy decides to stay at the refuge and nurse his injuries rather than be carried out by Jack and David. And he says something to the effect of, I'm not getting carried out by anybody. I'll walk out on my own. It's not exactly that, but that's basically what he's saying. And I think that's a completely understated character moment for Crutchy, who Mm. up to that point is sort of just a background character for comic relief. Right, but Jack's always kind of had a soft spot for him. Right. And so to to see him say it like that and to show how much pride he has, I think was a turning point for the character. See, I actually took it a little bit differently because the whole time he's been getting progressively worse and the Delancey brothers got him pretty good. They really hurt him. Um I know it's supposed to be like a, a, a juvenile hall. Right. Um, but I kind of feel like Crutchy's looking at it as he's got, you know, three square a day and a roof over his head and now he doesn't have to work so hard. I kind of feel like he wants to stay in there for as long as he can because he's protected. And he can ride out this strike, which is really going to hurt him. Right. Pulitzer offers that the strike be ended uh, by any means necessary. So when the gates open at the newspaper's headquarters the next day, the newsies are met by basically a goon squad. uh, Strike busters, I think, is what their technical term was, uh, who are led by the Delanceys. And um, while the police turn a blind eye, they start to assault the newsies. I mean, you have grown men whipping, clubbing, punching, and kicking children. Yeah, the only thing that I can say about this scene is, wow, that escalated quickly. Yeah, but Spot and the Brooklyn Newsies arrive. Never fear, Brooklyn's here. (laughs) And I'm not making that up. That is basic. They do say that a couple of times throughout the film, and they say it just like that. Um, They arrive and they help fight off these goons that are attacking the kids. And... Denton writes about the strike and gets it on the front page of The Sun, which gets us into the next song, King of New York. Um, And the song is sort of the vehicle for the ensemble and for Bill Pullman because they're all taking King of New York to mean something else. Some of the newsies are talking about King of New York because I'm on the front page of the paper, which makes me famous. Some are saying this is going to get me fame and get me a good seat at the movie theater. And then Bill Pullman takes it as he is the King of New York because the newsies adore him for getting the story on the front page. And now he's got a front page story. And he's going to become the next media giant. Right. And good for Bill Pullman because he... 
God love me doesn't have the best voice in the world, but he tries and he did he did pretty good here. I gotta say. King of New York is the other sequence that's tied for my favorite musical number. Um, it's a really catchy song. The choreography is absolutely incredible. They start bringing in some soft shoe when they're dancing up on the tables. It really showcases, again, the dancing ability of Christian Bale and Aaron Lore and the entire ensemble cast. And um, I think it was also a smart choice to change up the setting a little bit because until this point, almost all of the biz- the big musical numbers have taken place in the street. So I think it was important to change it up a little bit. Move it inside the restaurant. Yeah. And it also kind of gave them a headquarters and a meeting spot other than that statue in the middle of the, the road that they kept going to. Right. And it also establishes, because obviously they're on strike, they could barely afford this to begin with. Denton is paying for this. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's expensing it because it does have to do with his story, but... He's still doing it, and he doesn't have to. Right. Well, back at the refuge, Crutchy accidentally tells Snyder that he knows Jack Kelly, and Snyder plans to track Jack down and return him to the refuge. So when he goes to the Newsies' boarding house, or whatever it is you want to consider it, they all lie to protect Jack, who runs off and spends the night on the fire escape outside of David and Les's apartment, where we also see how smitten he is with their sister, Sarah. Now, this is the first time that we've seen him conflicted over whether or not he should go to Santa Fe. Because up to this point, he sang his song, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. But now he meets the girl, and he's starting to have second thoughts here. So... I think that this does a good uh, a good job of sort of building on what is already a complex character because in spite of the fact that Jack is the lead there's still a mystery about him up to this point. You feel like you don't know everything about him. This scene kind of makes me want to roll my eyes a little bit because you do see that he's very taken with Sarah the first time that he meets her. But now the poor girl just goes through all the trouble of making you breakfast and you're like, well, I'm leaving. And then he puts the onus on her unless you give me a reason to stay. I mean, he's not the most polished person on earth. We know this about him. No, but for the time, I mean, this really wasn't even that progressive where the girl would do anything to push the relationship forward. And he's yeah. he's leaving it all up to her. I also don't think... Well, it, it makes sense in that you're trying to show that he does have vulnerability. And he is imperfect. And he's not this this strong leader that everybody thinks that he is. I mean, he is, he is a figurehead. But we know that David's been feeding him his lines. They're trying to soften him. Right. And they, they knock him down a peg to a boy with a crush. Okay, fine. But... I, I also don't think that this movie needed a love interest i don't think it needed a love story i agree with you because it is like a band of brothers story but Mm -hmm. she does come in a little bit later right as a plot device so they do make good on it pulitzer gets the mayor of new york on board with disrupting the strike since jack who is its leader is as they said an escaped prisoner And he wants him to be arrested at the Newsies rally to send a message to 
the other boys. I let's talk about Robert Duvall for a minute. Oh yes, let's. Okay, because I I love Robert Duvall. Mm-hmm. I do, but in this scene, Pulitzer's accent kind of changes, and he went from being a New Yorker to being some sort of fidelity fiduciary like, bank, like an indi- like like indescript European. Yes. I don't know why this is happening. I I don't know if they decided to change the direction that the character was going in and they just didn't go and reshoot some of his earlier dialogue. But the man's accent is not the same that it was at the beginning of the movie and I don't understand why. Unless they shot this first and he didn't keep it up throughout. It's possible. Somewhere a reshoot should have happened and did not. <laughs> yeah. Whether his accent changed intentionally or by accident, that should have been fixed. We get to the Newsies rally where we get to the next song on our soundtrack, which is High Times, Hard Times. The boys are at Irving Hall, and after Jack and David kind of rally the troops, Meta comes out to perform this song. And I tell you, I'm going to ask you, what do you think of this? The song, the scene, everything. I go back and forth with the meta character as a whole because she's supposed to be vaudeville. But the way that she speaks to Jack in the beginning it almost seems like she's more burlesque than mm-hmm. vaudeville. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it was weird to have all of the kids come together there to see this because I feel like if, if that's the route that they're tiptoeing into, she's obviously toning it down for, for kids. all of the younger kids there and for some of the 16 and 17 year olds because they're still not even, you know, legally old enough to be partaking in something like that. Although, right. who knows? Back in the day, maybe they didn't even have. I the mean, age the, half these but... kids are smoking cigarettes and cigars, so I, I don't think they care about legal age of anything. This is true, and I, I'm not sure exactly what they're drinking either. I, I, I mean, it, it's it's a brown liquor on the rocks. I mean. I doubt it was Coca-Cola. Yeah. No, and even when when Les tries to sell his first paper, they he makes a quarter because somebody dared to, him to drink a beer. Yeah. And he did it. Um anyway, I I think the setting is good for the purpose of getting that many people all in one spot and to show that they're all unified because they've even at this point got Long Island in on it now too. Yes. Um and I think it's good you had to do the capture indoors because you had to make the escape very hard. So the setting all works, but I, I think it's just the meta character as a whole because she's not maternal enough where I believe that these kids are running to her for comfort. Yeah. This song, as the kids are singing and swaying and smoking and drinking with her first off, reminds me, because they're, like, they're hanging from the balcony. Like, it reminds me of Gremlins. Um, <laughs> but this song, it's fun, but it seems like something a group of drunks would be singing in a speakeasy. 
rather than a group of children at a rally for their newsy strike. It's fun nonetheless, but I don't know if it fits here. You're getting more like Gaston's Tavern vibes than even like Pleasure Island, I feel like, is more plausible than this. And those kids are turning into donkeys for misbehaving. Exactly. Well, at the rally, Snyder and the police arrest Jack and the Newsies. And Jack is given a very lengthy sentence while Denton bails out the rest of the boys. Denton tells the Newsies back at the restaurant that the newspapers didn't cover the rally in an attempt to make this story uh, go away. And he also tells them that he's been reassigned to cover the war. And... Basically, he has to do this to save his job. He gives David a copy of the story he wrote about the rally, but David refuses to read it, believing that Denton turned his back on the Newsies. There's so much about this scene that I really dislike. And it, and it's all David. Because Denton is the person, he's the adult in the room, other than meta but other than performing meta meta can't do anything for them denton put his career on the line got it on the front page got them buzz and got them notoriety and because he's been reassigned to cover the war david believes that he's turned his back on them why after all that he did for you and paying for the meals at the restaurant, everything that he did, why now are you mad at him? It it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, I kind of see both sides of it, though, because you're looking at it from the perspective of if Denton really wanted to do the right thing, why did he just accept this? But at the time, and, and I think this is where maybe they could have tied it back to the real world a little bit more. Hearst and Pulitzer were the two biggest names in printing. And Denton does kind of say as much, she's like, I'm a newspaper man. If if I can't write for a newspaper, I'm nothing. The same way that these kids are falling on hard times and they're hawking papers, he's not going to be much better off if he throws his entire career away for this. Right. But he doesn't explicitly say that to David of I don't I don't have a choice and this is going to end my career. Later that night, Pulitzer offers Jack a job, new clothes, money, and freedom from his sentence in exchange for crossing the line and basically ending the strike. Now Pulitzer is Italian. <laughs> Cuz his accent has changed again. And Shut up and listen to me. Shut up and listen to me. It's so horribly acted and so overacted by Robert Duvall. And he's a a good actor. I don't know what happened with him. Yeah, I don't like that they carried on the no you listen, no you listen. That was ridiculous. Because it's not like there was even a back and forth. He just kept saying it over and over again. Yeah. Besides that, I think this is also a really good scene for everything to come to a head because Jack kind of has Pulitzer's back against the ropes that 
Pulitzer figures, if I can't beat him, join him and offer him a job. And he knows Jack is not going to realistically take that offer. But in turn, he uses David as a bargaining chip. Right. And basically threatens the whole Jacob family if Jack doesn't do this. And when it comes time for Jack to make the decision, he's so standoffish about it and makes it look like he really wanted to do this and really wanted to better himself because, and it really, it speaks volumes about his character that he'd rather be hated by the newsies and make them believe that he he's a sellout than expose what's really going on and how this could harm David. See, and this happens because David tries to break Jack out of the refuge, but Jack rejects the offer, and then the next day the Newsies see Jack in his new clothes getting ready to sell papers, and they, and they believe that he has sold them out. And then there is an exchange that evening between Jack and David, but I feel like Jack didn't do himself any favors by not explaining to David how he saved him and his family. Well, they were partners. It had to be sort of an ugly breakup, especially because Les idolizes Jack. So you really had to piss both of them off and turn both of them off. Uh, Yeah, I get it. But I sort of feel like the movie did it for the sake of creating drama. There was enough drama. I, I don't think he needed to go out of his way to make them hate him. But... We can agree to disagree on that one because it doesn't last very long anyway, because the next day the Delaney's assault Sarah, Les and David, but Jack hearing Sarah's screams comes to the rescue, essentially ending any chance he had at freedom. And there's, I could not figure out exactly what, the Delaney's role was in all of this? Were they just employed by the newspaper? Why did they hate the Newsies so much? And then you have Mr. Weissel, who's played by Michael Lerner, who we mentioned when we discussed Blank Check. He plays Bitterman, and he's in this as well. Um, He is the guy that actually takes the money from the Newsies to give them their papers in... The morning, he he sells them basically their wholesale newspapers, right? And they sell. Uh, they say we're going to tell Uncle Wes about this. So I guess that's the relationship, but I don't know why it took that long for us to find out that they were his nephews. Yeah, because it almost plays off like at one point they were newsies that worked their way up and that's why it's like so beneath them now. But what I like about this whole sequence, and I I didn't want to say it before and get too far ahead, I like how David is being used as a plot device to keep flipping this story because we see it where he's the bargaining chip for Pulitzer and then in the next scene they go after Sarah because they know that it's going to bring him out to defend his sister and bring Jack out of the woodwork too. Um, So I think that's why, you know, to, to answer the question that you raised before, as far as why there was such animosity from Jack, you kind of had to give them a reason to have a falling out where they're not speaking at all, which to be fair, it should have been enough where David didn't want to talk to Jack anymore. Once he became a suit. Yeah. 
as the movie goes on, we learn that the sweatshop kids of New York City, not just the Newsies, um, they're listening to Jack as well. So with the help of Denton, they use some of uh, Pulitzer's old printing presses to print a free newspaper, which I believe was called the Newsies Banner, appropriately enough. Um, and they give it away to every Newsie and sweatshop kid they can find, while Denton gives a copy to Governor Teddy Roosevelt, who is somebody that has been mentioned throughout the movie um, that Jack has said, oh, when I when I escaped the refuge, I rode out with Teddy Roosevelt. And most of the Newsies think that it's just a tall tale that he's telling them. But even as the audience, you kind of believe it because you know that he's been lying about his parents the whole time. Right. So now you get another song here called Once and For All. And this is a song that is being played as they are printing the newspapers and dispersing them. And I know you're going to have a big problem with this. And I know why. So I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you your breath. People off screen are singing over people who are acting on screen and not singing. Bingo. Well, not even just off screen. This plays like a score when you see the people who are supposed to be singing it. I understand. So when they're actually they're they're using Pulitzer's printing press to put out the Newsies banner. Right. Which I love. You know, you're you're hurting him with his with his own equipment. Mm hmm. Um, but they're in the basement where, you know, they've, they've given to Jack his room and board and that's how he knows the printing press is there. So they're running it off and it's this, you know, number where the plan is being put into action and they're fighting back, but you don't see the emotion behind it because there's words and nobody's mouth is moving. And even they let Sarah sing in this one, except they don't because her mouth isn't moving. And then, yes, all hell breaks loose when you get to the full ensemble and we see more people off screen who aren't singing. You feel good now? Off your chest, you feel better? No, I'm never going to feel good about any movie that does this. Well, uh, except they achieved it better than Les Mis. I will give them that. Can we talk about while all of this is going on, we also see Teddy Roosevelt. We see Denton give a copy of the paper to Teddy Roosevelt, who says, I can't believe I let this happen under my watch. He is the worst Teddy Roosevelt I think we've ever seen. You know who he is? Kalu Kalei, the world today, we're cabbages and kings. Is it really? I have no idea, but that's who he reminds me of, is the walrus and the carpenter. He he looks like the walrus brought to life. I I, I don't... He, he's terrible. And listen, it's not because of Night at the Museum where we had Robin Williams, who played him so well. Robin Williams looked like Teddy Roosevelt. This guy looks like the penguin from Batman Returns dressed as Teddy Roosevelt. And by that, I mean he put a fake mustache on and had like a little monocle. No, and it has nothing to do with the top hat either. That's just the costume. It's just, that's how he looks. You're absolutely right. A terrible casting. You could not have found a worse Teddy Roosevelt. Well, the upside to all of this is the printing works. And all of the Newsies and Sweatshop kids have rallied together. And everyone who once sided with 
uh, Pulitzer have now turned their backs on him because of all of the pressure they are facing because of the Newsies and the Sweatshop Kids. And Pulitzer basically calls Jack up to his office, and I believe David was with him um, in what is probably the worst scene in the movie. Um, Because now Pulitzer has a Brooklyn accent, because it's now changed (laughs) again. Um, I honestly, I did not notice this. How did I miss that? I don't know. But again, the overacting by Robert Duvall in this scene, Jack throws open the doors to his office and, and it leads to a balcony outside that overlooks the courtyard. And Jack is look at all those people out there. And, you know, he's looking, oh, let them hear you. Let them hear you. And Robert Duvall is covering his ears going, shut up, shut up, stop it, shut Close up. Shut the doors. Shut the doors. Shut the doors. It's, it's, it's so bad. It's so bad. No, he's reacting like a snowflake who needs a safe space. It's basically. It's, I- it's so, yeah, he looks like he's, he looks like he's about to throw a temper tantrum. Yeah. No, and otherwise it should be such a good scene because the power of the press is shifting and it's out of his control. And this is also David's big moment because up until now, David has been the brains and Jack has been the mouthpiece and it's David's turn to be the mouthpiece. Right. And he does a good job holding his own against the temper tantrum. I know. And that's that's what kills me about this scene is that David finally gets his moment, but everything else that happens because of Robert Duvall is so bad that it takes away any good that happens. Well, Pulitzer ends the price gouge. The warden is then taken to jail because Teddy Roosevelt shows up and they find out that the warden at the refuge was stealing food that was meant for the kids and taking advantage of them. And so he goes to jail and Teddy Roosevelt offers Jack a ride to wherever he wants to go. And Jack asks to go to the railroad station and everybody starts to cry because Jack has left all to find out that Jack really just did a circle around the block with Teddy Roosevelt. And he comes back because he was like, This is my family. I can't leave just yet. And uh, they all go back to selling their papers at a half a cent each and selling them for a penny each. They're back to their 100% markup. And big kiss for Jack and Sarah. Yep. Um, Then the movie ends. And when we watched this movie, you and I have a very different opinion over what makes a strong ending to a musical. I, for example, love Jersey Boys. Loved the show. Loved the movie. Until the stupid dance number at the end. Just like I hated the dance number at the end of the Aladdin live-action remake. I don't know anybody who dislikes Christopher Walken dancing in any capacity. Because it's hokey, it's corny, and it otherwise ruins good films. They didn't do that here. No, here they did a freeze frame. Fine. So good. Awful. The music is so lively, and the kid is just 
frozen doing a bellhop in midair. It's fine. I It's as it should be. See, I like when it's done where the cast kind of lets loose a little bit and as their name is credited, they come out and they do a little freestyle. Oh no, 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 no. Because no, it's, it's no. Not part of the movie anymore. It's yes, not even it after the credit scene. It's a little it's like the end of any Broadway show where the cast comes out for their bows and then they dance and they clap. I don't like that either. What, are they just not supposed to take a bow? No, they can bow and say goodnight and the curtain goes and, and you go home. But it's, no, that's kind of when the barrier's broken with the audience and you get up and you dance with them. If I want the barrier broken, I'll go hang out by the stage door. I don't need the barrier broken. You'll do that anyway. I mean, they do dance a little bit before the credits start to roll. But I just wish I, I just wish they would have they would have faded to black and been done with it. Not just left the kid hanging in midair. And then we do eventually see him drop down. So it does keep going. Just that that's like the one if I have one issue with Kenny Ortega and I could leave that one alone because this was his directorial debut. If that was the biggest mistake you made, well then bravo. Was that the biggest mistake he made? Um, That he made. If I have one complaint about this movie. Nay, I have two. Um, just because it, it's such a glaring error and I, I can't look away every time that it happens. When the fight breaks out where the, Delan the Lancy brothers come to play with the... Yeah. Chains and, you know, they, they showed up to an unfair fight and then Brooklyn comes in and they fight even more dirty with their slingshots. And their pimp sticks. And <laughs> yes, pimp stick himself like zip lines down into the crowd. But obviously the child actor did not do his own stunt, but it's so glaringly obvious they used a stunt double because his forearms Popeye out like literally Popeye whoever the stunt man was was so muscular it's terrible like you needed to widen that shot up so it's not such a glaring error um so that's one thing you can kind of over well you can't overlook it because it's it's bad but um story-wise the only thing that I wish we would have seen more of and not that we needed to make the movie longer but maybe you could have shifted the focus a little bit I don't feel like we see the repercussions of the strike enough because they water it down by Denton bailing them out with buying them lunch and then paying the bail in court. Um, so these kids get a lot of help, which they do need, but I wish we would have seen a little bit more of a pushback for the kids that didn't want to strike other than them just going to work the next day. I wanted a little bit more of a why from them of why you're going to resist the strike of why you need to sell your papers and what the repercussion is going to be if you don't. Sure. Um, I think for me, the music is great. Um, I think the costumes are great and I do like the sets as well. Um, I think at times the acting is horrible from Robert Duvall specifically. And I'm not quite as appreciative of the hideous Staten Island, Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan accents. I think at times they are a little 
too much. Um, but that's how they spoke. So if you're trying to be accurate, okay. Um, I also think I've just gotten so used to, you know, people, uh, you know, uh, characterizing and uh, caricaturizing and, uh, like this. And I know that there are people that speak like that. And I know that that it is something that has sort of become a joke locally where we live. Um, so maybe that's where I have a, a bigger problem with it. But just hearing it in the in the, in the film, I, I said before, I think it's a hideous accent. It's nails on a chalkboard. Um, but with all of that being said, the movie is still a lot of fun. I think that it has a ton of rewatchability. It's slow the first time you see it. It feels every bit the two hours that it is. But I feel like the more you watch the movie, the better the pacing gets. And I guess that's just because you can anticipate what's happening next. Because I remember when I sat and watched it the first time thinking, oh, this movie's got to be just about over. And then seeing where there's 28 minutes left, how? Um, but upon the second viewing and the third viewing, it, it all kind of did flow a lot better. Um, so in all... I enjoyed it. I wish I would have seen it a long time ago. I wish this is a movie I would have grown up with because um, I feel like I would have really enjoyed it as a kid. That's the thing. Like, I kind of wish I could have seen this through the eyes of me at like 10 years old when I could have not related to these kids because of the situation that they were in, but just relating to them on an age level. But obviously, I'm never going to get that opportunity. So all I can say is that as an adult, I like it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I did get lucky enough to see it. I think I caught it on, I don't know, either the, the Sunday night movie or, or Disney Channel or something as a kid. But I didn't appreciate it really past the songs and the, the singing and dancing. Um, I remember enjoying it, but it wasn't one that stayed with me and had a lot of rewatchability, probably because I didn't relate to the, I mean, that, that's the thing. Like Annie was my first play. So I was all about that and didn't grasp this in the same way. Um, then I watched it again, in like high school. Cause it's my best friend's, one of his favorite Disney movies. Um, and I liked it more, but again, it's not that it doesn't have rewatchability. It, it was just never, a staple but it will become one because I think it's so enjoyable now um I still love the music the dancing still blows me away I think I have a greater appreciation for that now even and how talented these kids were how they really carried the film um and the direction too because you know I said it earlier there are a lot of musicals that don't it either looks like you're shooting for a stage or you're missing some of the really good choreography and your your camera's not where it's supposed to be. And I think this this film does just such an amazing job of framing out these shots, um, especially to one thing we failed to mention. These kids, everybody really, especially Teddy Roosevelt, they are sweating to a point of it being gross. I believe they shot over the summer and that was something um, that Pete's Dragon ran into also is because when you're working with that many kids, you kind of have to wait until they're on break from school. Like as a child actor, actor you do have to have, um, you know, like a tutor on set so you right. can keep up with your schoolwork. But like for this many kids, you just can't really do it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, 
Yeah, it it definitely still holds up, I think. And that's demonstrated by them bringing it to Broadway as well. You know, how popular it became. But this really makes me miss the streets of New York, something awful. Because I would have loved to see them do like a little street performance and do one of the Newsy songs. Or, you know, maybe have Jack out once in a while. Or um, even just to see you know, some of the sets in there, like they, they had that, I'll always remember they had the banner that said, use guys merchandise, you know, as you pointed out because of the accent and they had it spelled out phonetically. I, now I assume you're talking about MGM studios when you say the streets of New York. Yes. I'm thinking like, if you don't miss literal Manhattan. (laughs) No, I'm talking, I'm talking about the park specifically. Okay. Um, I think they could have done so much with that area for newsies. Sure. They could have. And if the movie had been a big blockbuster, perhaps they would have. But, I mean, listen, it's it's taken off. It's got a cult following. And we'd love to know what you guys think of the film. Have you seen it? What is your review? Did you grow up with the movie? Or have you only seen it recently for the first time? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Nothing to report on this week in terms of news because, well, we're all still on lockdown and a lot of the news that is floating around out there is not confirmed by any uh, reliable source. And it goes to what we talked about before, clickbait. And we're not going to justify clickbait by discussing it. So um, you guys will know something when we know something. And right now we don't know anything. The only thing I do know for certain is that we had a really good time with you guys when we did our streaming party for Frozen 2, and we're going to do a streaming party this Sunday night as well, April 5th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash radio, where we are going to do a streaming party for Onward, because Onward is coming to Disney Plus this Friday. So for those who would like to join us, just make sure that you're subscribed to Monoreal Radio on Facebook and make sure that you have your notifications turned on. That way, once we go live, you'll see it. You can click and watch with us because we had a really good time when we did that last week with everybody and and talked about Frozen 2. We had a blast with it. Um, We do have an event created. I'm going to pin that to the top of the Facebook page. It's a public event, so invite your friends, invite whoever you think may enjoy this, especially if they haven't seen Onward yet. Um, We are going to talk through it, though. So if this is your first viewing, you know, we're giving you two days. Maybe maybe watch it once before. Yeah. Or, you know, it'll be on on the Facebook group forever, so you can always go back and... Watch it after the fact if you really want. But anyway, yes, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time this Sunday. Make sure you guys check it out. We want to hear from you because we, you know that we love interacting with you guys. And this just gives us another opportunity to do it and for all of us to come together as a Disney community and make the best out of this situation. Especially if you want to take a shot at Sean. Yes, shots at Sean. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. Don't forget, as we mentioned uh, before, to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also subscribe to us, and please leave us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. It would be greatly appreciated, and we hope that we see you all 
on Sunday night. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.